This is Bob Ambrogi, and welcome to episode 51 of This Week in Legal Blogging, presented by LexBlog. LexBlog is home to the world's largest community of legal bloggers and is the industry-leading provider of professional blogs and turnkey digital publishing solutions to lawyers and to the world's largest law firms for more than 17 years. Today on This Week in Legal Blogging, I am very pleased to have as my guest none other than the founder and CEO of LexBlog, Kevin O'Keefe. While our usual format, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, is to uh, have conversations with legal bloggers about their blogs and their practices, we're going to go a little bit broader today and discuss an initiative that Kevin is spearheading that will, I think, be of interest to anybody involved in legal blogging. So, Kevin, welcome to This Week in Legal Blogging. Thanks, Bob. Glad to be here. Uh, It took 51 episodes for me to make it on. That's pretty good. Yeah, well, you're only the CEO, you know, we, gotta, uh, we have to prioritize other people. We had to get your other 50 customers on first. There you go. <laughs> all 50 of them. You got a few, probably, other, a few more than 50, I think. They probably weren't all customers either, so I don't know. They uh, actually they weren't all customers. Uh, to the to the credit uh, of, of uh, Colin O'Keefe and, and others there have worked on the production uh, of this and lining up guests, they have not all been customers, but a good number of them have been. Right. Uh, how many bloggers are th- out, legal bloggers out there aren't customers of LexBlog? A lot of them are, are already yeah. there. So. so a lot of good, a lot of good ones. And they, they've yeah. done a nice yeah. job for society and themselves. Yeah. So the reason to have you on today, uh, although, of course, you, you can talk about blogging uh, with the best of them and better than most of them, but you're starting an initiative here, about to launch an initiative that really has implications for legal bloggers really across the country, across the world. So why don't you tell us what it is you're, you're announcing now? LexBlog is going to back an initiative called the Open Legal Blog Archive. And, and the reason for it is that today, the amount of insight and commentary that is being published on blogs, legal blogs, exceeds that of law reviews and law journals. Which is which is an amazing thing to think about because you know you, you were here you know at the beginning of legal blogging, um, I followed on afterwards to think that legal blogs when there might have been a handful of them or ten or twelve of them could surpass the amount of insight and commentary from authorities on niche subjects of that of law reviews and law journals. So there's there's this anxiousness that something has to be done. The ironic thing about this is that. You would think with digital, things would get easier to organize and to index. It has been the exact opposite as far as insight and commentary on the law. So you, you have law reviews. You know, everybody will say that they're open. But in many cases, open means go find the law school, go find the law review, and now do a search at the law review. So imagine a lawyer going around to 150 or 200 law schools doing a search to find something that's open. You might also find it in, in Google Scholar, but then it'll say, well, gee, go to Hein Online, which you don't have a subscription to, and you don't have access to that information. Right. That's right. right. And a lot of the law reviews are not even open. And they're missing a lot of stuff. Because if, if somebody is writing on craft brew law, that's a professor, you know, did, you know, there, there are some articles now in law reviews on that subject because he's blogging it. Would we have all these subjects covered? You know, would we have issues relating to certain states, water rights issues in a particular type of situation covered? Maybe not. But the problem with blogs is, as I've talked to lawyers, is they know there's insight and commentary out there on blogs because they go to Google and they run a search 
on the, on the question that they have, and invariably a blog comes up. But they don't know what other blogs are out there, and they're buried someplace in Google, so they're, they're in a tough situation to cite them. So that's a problem, because if I'm a lawyer working a case, I need to know when I cite something to the judge what the contrary opinions might be, because I'm going to get my head handed to me in the courtroom when somebody says, yeah, but did you see this? So we don't have an archive of legal blogs, which is the definitive place for all of these blogs that then can be distributed to other places, if that makes any sense. It sounds like what you're describing is somewhere to both archive this content, meaning store it in a permanent way so it's always there, but then also make it more accessible, more searchable, so that it really does become essentially a resource, a research and, and not resource. In the traditional way, you know, I think if you looked at it the way that newspapers ran, the idea was to publish content at one place and have people come to it. But what if you actually syndicated the insight and commentary out to other people so that if you wanted to take this law, if you will, the secondary insight and commentary and syndicate it out to a state, the state could hold it for the state of Illinois could hold the, the lawyers in that state that are blogging. A research and AI platform like Velux, they, they get a feed of all of our blogs. You know, they have, you know, they have over half a million insight and comment, you know, half a million pieces of insight and commentary on blogs built into their research and AI platform. Right. You know, and so what's got to happen is that yeah. you that a research and AI platform theoretically could do this, but they haven't done it yet. And their expertise isn't out there and being that funnel going getting this stuff. Because believe me, it's not necessarily easy to get the permission of everybody to use, to use their copy, even though you're not indexing it. So it's not mm -hmm. just to be that central place for the research, but to syndicate it out to research and AI platforms. California, it's the uh, CEB, Continuing Education of the Bar. They wanted to have all of the blogs for California. And it can show a profile of the, of the blog, the lawyer, and the firm. And they have all that content that's now available for you via search. So it's to be that archive, be that central uh, database, but then to syndicate it out to places that will be meaningful. Yeah. Well, so how is that different than the syndication you're already doing? Because I know I've written about this on my own blog. You, you've got a number of uh, syndication portals with bar associations and others up and running already? It's a, it's, a good, it's a good question. You know, how this all started to come about was that as Lexblog opened up the idea of a blog community of all blogs coming in, it didn't matter whether they were, they were operating on our SaaS solution for blogging. You know, we started to knock on doors. The language that I started to use a few months ago, rather than would you like to join the Lexblog community was, you know, we're building an archive and it's important to have an archive. And by that time, I had already spoke to some places large legal academic institutions about the concept of an archive and they liked it. So, you know, I think it's more than semantics. A little bit of it started with semantics with the idea of an archive versus lexblog.com. So I just think there'll be much more momentum built around the idea of, you know, oba.org than there would be about lexblog.com. Lexblog.com will actually be a syndicate E of the archive, believe it or not. So imagine that Lexblog is a community of legal bloggers getting education on how to blog better, you know, doing programs like this and whatnot around legal bloggers. But the archive can store all those things and syndicate out to other places. The other thing that the archive can do is use technology that wouldn't be hampered by Lexblog.com. So Lexblog.com is sitting on technology that's been developed over the years. We're now going to build things they are going to make an archive operate better. I don't think we want to be hampered by what we have to make sure is deployed with Lexblog.com. Yeah. Is there also a problem of blog content disappearing either because, uh, you know, somebody changes firm and their firm 
takes the blog down or somebody maybe retires, but they've got a lot of valuable content up. It's a big issue. And, it, and, it's, and it's the height of folly when you think about it from a legal standpoint. Could you imagine a law firm contacting a law review and saying, I'm, I'm sorry, but we'd like to cut that article out of it because it says that they were employed here and they're not anymore. I mean, that's the same thing that's going on. Right. And if you look at things right. like the preamble to the ABA on ethics, law firms can't do things to to disable the law. They have their responsibility to advance the law, not to, not to do anything to hamper the law. So if, if you're having a blog and it's getting cited by another blog, because that's a discussion of the law, the advancement of the law, it's getting cited by a court, you can't just take these things down. And so the archive is another reason to do that. Now, the interesting part of this is that we're out there knocking on the door of business development people and law firms, which are some great people, and I know them. So they get all excited about this thing. And maybe the last question might be, oh, and, and of course, we'll get to take the content down when the lawyer's no longer there. You know, and, and all I do is, you know, you know whatever. And because I don't want to get into the discussion right then, because you can't. It's it's a contribution to the law and it's an advancement of the law. Yeah. I remember years ago when, when you raised the question, well, what's going to happen to our blogs? And I think you were in a, in a discussion with Nicole Black, even, or maybe uh, you know, some other folks. And all I kept thinking was technology 15 years from now or 10 years from now will be so cheap that we'll be able to archive these things. So we've got to archive it and it's got to stay. And there's got to be a snapshot of that, that information. Yeah. Um, and we have, to be, we have to figure out what are the attributes that go to that content? You know, is it just the, you know, the name Bob Ambrosi, the title of his blog, um, the date of his post? the title of a post and then the content because a law review piece would be that. You know, sometimes there's more stuff that people put, you yeah. know, on, on a blog, but we need to capture that. It, it can't go away. You know, we got, what, what is it, half the citations yeah. of the United States Supreme Court are broke? It's not all blogs, but that's crazy. It's crazy when you think about it. Right, you know, right. This is how we advance the law, but we can't see what's at the right. other end. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just had to file an amicus brief in a case in Massachusetts, and uh, our courts have gone to using these the perma perma CC links uh, for case citations, so that uh, you can always find them uh, for for any kind of web reference in a, in a brief. And Harvard and Harvard was one of the places <clears throat> that we spoke to about the archive. What do you think of this? Yeah. They, they go, they go, yeah. It's, yeah. What do you, what do you, yeah. what have you been waiting for? There should be the yeah. annotation of case law and code. With blogs, so so so, what is the scope of what's going to be included in this? Is this just for customers of LexBlog or any credible legal blog? And, and I think we want to have not only it. Yeah, it rules me that out. Rules too, me I guess. out. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I I think that there, what is advancing the law is different than what we might have considered advancing the law forty five years ago. I mean, when you you look at things, look at people that are coming on the business of law. You mean. Look at Bill Henderson um, at <clears throat> Indiana University. Phenomenal what he's doing as far as talking about the evolution of the law and different aspects. If somebody looked at that, they would, might say, well, that's not the law. That's not, you know, that's not doctrine in the law. So I think that has to be included. So it, it's an incredible uh, legal publication. The other thing to be thinking about, if it's an archive and it's available to other people, other people can also decide what can be available over time. So if you're sitting there in, in Massachusetts and the Massachusetts bar says, we want this, we don't want that, that's that's their decision. They have the right to to, mm -hmm. to syndicate or to be syndicatee, if you will, of that information. But no, it'd be all blogs. And I think it ought to be all 
It ought to be all international too, what we call international. You know, VLUX reaches 100 nations. They have law for 100 nations. There's only 190 nations mm -hmm. in the world. You know, the, the ability yeah. to have blogs from other countries using, you know, look at this as a technology set plus content set. Be able to tap into that is, is pretty powerful. Plus for lawyers in the United States, they can get insight and commentary maybe to see who knows what they're talking about on that other subject internationally. And then for lawyers overseas, they get to see lawyers in the United yeah. States who's no, who knows what they're talking about. You've been talking about the benefit to, I think, to the legal profession broadly in terms of having this kind of an archive for scholarship, for research, for uh, you know, understanding different areas of law. What about for the for bloggers themselves? For for me as a blogger, for somebody who writes, I'm not a good example. But for somebody who's writing about the law on a regular basis, what is the advantage to to they will see? You know, I, I think you know, look at the blog community too, and not just have it archived. You know, when a lawyer heard that their content was going to be included at California education or CEB, you know, continuing education of the bar. They're in California. They're doing estate work and they're going, this is really neat because they put on some great programs. I wouldn't be there unless I was a, a capable person, a capable blogger. So they get very excited that they're there. So there's, there's inspiration. They're also going to get cited. I mean, Bob, as you know, you know how to follow blogs and you know how to cite them and what they say. And to some extent, it's a conversation. You see something, you respond to it. Somebody responds to what you say. I don't think a lot of bloggers appreciate that. If you get them, you get something into an archive where people can see things in a more structured environment, that could be pretty neat. Because a lot of things can happen with this. You can say, okay, we we want to put out a stream every morning or every Friday with legal insight on this niche subject. It could be riparian water rights. And the people that blog on riparian water rights see it. What do they get to do? They get to share it on Twitter to demonstrate their expertise subject. They get to cite the other professors so as to raise their profile. Their visibility gets gets shown. So when you come into the archive right now, you're immediately getting, because Lexbog is holding the content and holding the database for now, you're immediately getting a profile yourself that's linking back to your firm. You're getting a profile of the blog linking back to the blog. So you're getting a lot of visibility as to what's there. If you're in a state like Illinois, Arizona, California, you know, I can't think of the other states that are participating already as publishing partners, you know, in the initiative, you get a lot of exposure by being in the, by being in the archive, not just because you're in the archive vault, but you're going out. I mean, it's right now it's Illinois, Texas, California, Wisconsin, Arizona, and then, you know, VLEX, and then FastCase is taking some of the content. So your exposure is pretty dramatic. Yeah. Where where does somebody find the archive? How do they find out more about the archive? They go to openlegalblogarchive.org. Um, if you'd search OLBA, you would probably find it of all things. But just openlegalblogarchive.org. You know, and the other the other beneficiary of this, Bob, is, and I was writing about it for, you know, the Illinois Supreme Court uh, Division on Professionalism, is the public. The more information we can make readily available to the public, from lawyers that know what they're talking about on subjects that's real. I mean, you've been around the corner to see a lot of crummy blogs um, that look like they're, they're written by you know, college-age marketing professionals, and they are. Mm -hmm. And they're held, held out as law blogs for purposes of search engine optimization. Well, what if, what if there can be blogs that offer good insight and commentary, that answer the common questions that somebody might have? So I think there's that opportunity, too. So it's not just for lawyers, it's for the public as well, whether they're small business people, consumers, or you know, in-house counsel. 
I'm going to I'm going to ask this question uh, only because you know somebody is going to ask you this, and why don't we just get it out of the way here? Which is, how are you going to make money from this? Are you trying to make money from this? It's a, it's, it's a good question, you know. And my team asked that question, and it, you know, if there's the ability for somebody to have a syndication feed of of blogs, and Lexblog would be the beneficiary of that. Lexblog already has demonstrated that the archive of blogs is a revenue stream. Anytime you can get content that somebody else wrote and that you don't have to pay for it and you don't have to edit it, that's kind of a coup. And so we have technology that allows that content to be syndicated. So, you know, the states that I mentioned, they all use a, a syndication platform. They use what's called a syndication portal um, for the display of that information, and they can customize the information that wants to be displayed. And we license that on an annual basis. We just launched one for a, a law school. It happened to be my law school, Mature School of Law, because I wanted to give them the first one. They pay, you know, an, a, an annual fee, you know, for that. So I think we'll come up with you know, other revenue streams, you know, from it. I think we would, if we're if we're supporting an API or a feed via uh, RSS to research and AI platforms, they would pay a licensing fee for the annual support of that. My guess is there, there's other ideas. I, I, yeah. I'm pushing the team. Can we come up with, yeah. with publications? Why, why shouldn't we have a publication on issues around uh, you know, cannabis law? You know, the, the, firm, the firms love this. Yeah. And it, it, even though I'm making we're theoretically making money from the technology. We're not licensing the content. And a right. mantra that Lexbog has always had since it started were that publishers do not pay. So if you think about it, if a law firm is publishing content, they shouldn't have to pay for the distribution of it. So if there's other vehicles to do that, then we'll come up, we'll harness that business model. So it's a matter of just being creative. But I remember you got that question asked when you gave a talk on basically Lexbog.com, similar type of concept, right. bringing right. all the content in and all these people charge the, the podium. <laughs> you can't do that. How are you going to make any money? Right. I know. Well, that's that's why I smiled as I asked the question because I know that uh, you and I have both tackled that question, been been faced with that question. Before. And, the, and the and the other the other kind of crazy thing, I think this is a good idea that has merit, and I think the technology that is developed will be worthwhile. So it's kind of like saying I'm going to invest in something that doesn't necessarily pay, you know, right away. But you're creating increasing in value. You know the best way that I can look at it is it could be, you know, a stock. If I went and bet on Olba and said I can invest money in Olba because I think it's going to create something of value to people, that could be worth more than investing in a in a stock. Yeah. But it's but it, it it wakes you up in the morning a little bit afraid. Like, what the hell yeah. am I doing at 65 years yeah. old? building a company that doesn't necessarily generate money overnight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it also sounds, you know, I, I mean, there have been, it wasn't the Library of Congress uh, archiving blogs for a while. I don't know if they still do they're, that. They're still, I mean, there's, there, there's merit in and of itself, the concept of being able to preserve this content in a meaningful way where it could be accessible over the long haul to the public at large, to lawyers at large. There's a lot of value just in that concept. Yeah, tremendous value. And, and the Library of Congress is archiving it for a different reason. They're archiving it for what does it look like and what does it feel like? Is it blue? Is it green? Are there ads on them? I, talking to the Library of Congress, I thought they were archiving all legal blogs for the merit on the law. That's one factor, but that isn't the factor. They want to know in 70 years from now, what did legal blogs look like? Just like 
if you and I went to the library and said, oh my God, look at what the yellow pages look like in 1919. Yeah. Um, so they're taking a different look at it. So I haven't found anybody that said, we need to archive the blogs. And, uh, and the challenge that I see is it the run over here by business development people that don't look at the law like you do, or I might look at the law. They're looking at it as how much traffic mm-hmm. are we getting to that content and to that mm-hmm. lawyer's page? That's that blog versus the the advancement of the law. Well, but apart from the traffic, apart from the traffic, there is you know a lot of a lot of creators of content of any kind, whether blog authors or or artists or anything else, are, are concerned about duplication of their content yep. and and losing control over publication of their content. So what? You know, what about that in terms of uh, a, a lawyer who's publishing to his or her own blog uh, and, and maybe is worried about that content being archived somewhere separately where they can't control that archive? Yeah, it, it, you know, it's a legitimate reason. We don't index the content. So, you know, unlike certain distribution services, we don't index the content. We don't allow the content to be indexed in Google. It's all a no follow. So the firms feel real comfortable with, with that. It, it hasn't been an issue, you know, yet yeah. with gee, I don't want to be seen over at the Michigan bar, um, you know, because we're not, we can't go to places that would be unseemly and nor do people that are unseemly necessarily want this content. Right. Now, maybe right. it's going to come up that somebody writes porn law blogs and they're going to be a porn law publication. I don't know. Uh, yeah. it, but it's a real good question. I think on the flip side <clears throat> for that person that is, that, you know, understands that they're playing a significant role as a judicial scholar, if you will, by advancing these issues. The fact that it's on the shelves at other places is good. Think about this syndication as being on the shelves. You know, you, you can't leave it sit in the warehouse. It needs to go on the shelf in Michigan, in California, you know, at law schools, you know, all those places where it might be relevant because the, the Bar Association is using that content for being relevant to their members, to shine a light on their members. You know, a law school is doing it to shine a light on their alumni that are publishing. So now you get seen because somebody else is out there working to get your stuff seen that yeah. Kevin O'Keefe couldn't. Um, and then maybe you on, on yourself couldn't do that either. So if I'm a lawyer listening to this or a legal professional of any kind listening to this and I have a blog and I want to make sure that my blog is getting archived in the Open Legal Blog Archive, what do I need to do? Yeah, just you can go to the site. Hell, hell, you could email me if you want to. You could Google Kevin O'Keefe and call me. But the Open Legal Blog Archive has a page on it to submit, and it allows you to put your name in, the URL for the blog. It will come right in. We'll take a look to make sure that it has a valid feed. You know, that's a credible blog, and get back to you quickly. You know, that it's in the blog, and here's how the profiles have been set up for you. Very, very simple. And if anybody wants to email me at kevin at lexblog.com, say, Kevin, I heard about this. What do I need to do? Feel free to, to do so. We will talk to people all day long about about the issue. We're still pushing the rock up the hill. I hope we can have the, the rock start to roll down the hills by sometime, maybe at the end of next year. I think it's a long-term project. I think this is a, a three or four-year type of deal. You know, uh, yeah. especially as it gets to be international. I think an issue that kind of dances around everything we're we're talking about here is is this issue of of how fundamental of a skill blogging is or is not to legal professionals these days. And I know I know you have some thoughts about that. I'm just kind of curious if you could talk a little bit about about that question about is it you know. Should lawyers have that skill? Should they be learning that skill when they're in law school? It's been interesting. I would say over the last 
three or four weeks, I've kind of had a renewed interest in in teaching vlogs, vlogging. And, uh, you know, as time goes by, it's like, you know, you're like me. It's, you know, you've been doing it a while. It's like, oh my God, am I doing it again today? Am I teaching lawyers how to blog? What does it mean? What is a blog? What is, you know, what is the essence of blogging versus writing something else? And, you know, a couple of things happened. One, where I was coaching two lawyers. I coach lawyers, um, coach our clients all the time. And it was very inspirational. They asked good questions. And I really felt that in both cases, these two young men, probably early 30s, was going to be a life-changing event for them. I really felt that the blogging was going to be a life-changer for them. I thought they were going to do the type of work they wanted to do for who they wanted to do it for, and they wouldn't have to worry about where they got clients on a statewide basis in both cases. And I visited my law school you know, a couple times in the last month, and law schools are inspirational uh, for, for me. You know, you, you see professors that are foregone, you know, maybe earning more money other places that are willing to teach students. You see students just bright eyes, at least for the first year, you know, the things they want to change in the law. And I shouldn't be facetious. I think it's all three years, some of them on various social causes. But you, you and then you see other students that, that they're troubled with, how am I going to get a job? Well, Bob, you know, there's no way you would be known the way you are without a block. You know, I started a blog in my garage. Within two weeks, people started contacting me to help them. You know, I wasn't sure on what other than to help them do a blog. I think, and I've said it before, how can you accept tuition for forty, fifty, or $60,000 and let a student go out and not be able to get a job? Now, that's not an issue maybe at Harvard or Stanford or Northwestern or Yale. And I didn't go to any of those schools. And I'm not certain it's as easy to get a job today as it was when I went to school. And still, even then, it took knocking on doors. But man, armed with the skill of blogging, you know, from that first year, Mm -hmm. you would know people in the area that you wanted to work, no matter whether it was working, you know, with, you know, the Southern Southern Poverty Defense Organization, you know, whether it was working with the ACLU whether it was working with a major law firm that does a particular type of, uh, you know, currency, you would have a job and you wouldn't even have to ask for the job. You would get the job because you would have been talking to them back and forth on Twitter. You and I know that if I go on Twitter and say, are there any law schools doing anything on legal blogs? All of a sudden I stumble into things from Brooklyn. They're not teaching blogging per se. They got a great blog on sports and entertainment. I'm exchanging notes with the school's school administration. I'm exchanging notes with the person and I'm exchanging notes. I mean, Twitter, that world opens up. So imagine doing that for students would be so inspiring. And it, to you and I, it comes easy. You know, we figured out how to do this. We read, followed certain people. You were at BloggerCon in Harvard way back then. Um, yeah. I mean, this morning, Dave Weiner's got a blog post up, and he might be the godfather of blogging um, about we need to go back to the basic of blogging for a lot of reasons in our society. It would be a fabulous tool. And I think the way you would yeah. teach the program is, you know, what is the role you know, of legal blogging? What is a good blog? You know, how do you develop you know, your niche? Um, don't try to make it too hard. You know, how do you listen so you're engaging you know, other people and building you know, a profile? I don't know that you have to use the term marketing a blog, but how you raise your profile is how you reference other people and, in fact, market your blog. Um, you would do very well. And 
yeah, I, I hope I can be a part of it. Yeah, that would be really good. It, it, you know, I mentioned before, this is episode 51 of this podcast, but in, in the previous 50 episodes, I, I can't count how many conversations I've had with lawyers who are maybe more senior in their firm, who've been blogging in their firm, but who open the blog to younger lawyers in the firm, often to new associates in the firm. And, and they will say time after time that for these younger associates, publishing on the firm's blog has been uh, a huge ladder in their success in the firm because it raises their visibility. It shows people they know what they're talking about. I mean, that that's just one right. micro case of what you're talking about. But even within a firm, even after you're already out of law school, you've got a job, you're at a firm. And, and we know of so many stories of, of, of younger lawyers who started blogging when they were fairly early in their career and whose career probably accelerated because of that. Not probably, clearly accelerated because of that. So. You know, and just we take it down to its base. I mean, you're, you're involved in, in publishing and journalism. That's your... I mean, that's your degree. And you publish major publications in the law, the National Law Journal and Lawyers Weekly. Publishing is something that raises our status. I mean, if, if, if we write, if we report, if we're seen as an authority, we're different than other people. We, it raises our status. So it only makes all the common sense in the world that given a personal printing press in your family room or your den or your office, if, if you use this correctly, that your stature is going to go up and you might even know how to get known and be seen more than the reporter that is working for the established newspaper and publications today. So the thing that we've lost in blogging and where you really need to get back to it in legal blogging that we've lost is you're demonstrating that you're a learned authority on an issue. You're demonstrating that you're learning more about this issue by reading on the issue. It is not my goal is to put words on a piece of paper so it ranks higher on Google and then it hooks into our into our uh, client relationship management tool and shows me how many hits come across my desk. Now, admittedly, we'd like to know that people are reading us, but it's, it's something more meaningful than that. And it makes yeah. all the common sense in the world that someone like a young lawyer, if they're writing on this niche issue, is going to get seen, not only in the United States, but around but around the world. I mean, to have a, I mean, what are the odds a student at Michigan State would be invited to do an internship on a firm out of London, you know, <laughs> from a right. blog and LinkedIn? Zero. But he, well, he was. And then, and what happens when he graduates? He meets, you know, he meets a partner that's heading a, 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 a blockchain. And he gets hired to, to work for uh, a major firm in Florida. I mean, that's impossible. You know, or, or a young woman, a single mother, she's going to school in, at Michigan State also because they're, they're educating people. They're educating students on these issues. She tells me that, that one of the things that was nice was getting invited to speak at a conference in San Francisco while she's in school. And I'm going, really? You know, <laughs> how many students get invited, get flown to the West Coast? <laughs> to speak at a conference on, on ag issues, food and ag issues, because they're writing a blog. So uh, the opportunities are there. And uh, I think it, it, it is a disservice by law schools to, to dismiss it, to say it's only blogs. You know, it's not legal writing. It's not this other thing. Not to say that legal blogs are better than that or that the other, you know, are worse than that or anything like that. They're just something. And as yeah. you know, there's an art to blogging. There is, there's, there's an art and you can only blog bad for so long, you know? And so if you could learn the skill in a year, 
you know, if you could learn how to do it and get a feel for how it's going on and, and feel it, that what's coming back to you, what a gift. It'd be a gift that would keep giving the rest of your life. And yep. you have all of these social media today, which are an adjunct to it. You know, I might write a post on Facebook, but then I copy and paste over to my blog. You know, all these different places that I'm meeting people and exchanging notes. Mm -hmm. What a gift, you know, for for a, a law student. Sorry to ramble yeah. on so long, Bob. No problem at all, but uh, we are about out of time. So uh, anything else you'd like to say about the Open Legal Blog Archive before we wrap up? No, you know, I, I appreciate I appreciate being able to do this and I'm sure I'll reach out to you because you always have good questions. You know, what about this? What about that? You know, you're always looking at it from like a reporter standpoint, but you're also looking at it from a logical uh, lawyer standpoint. Uh, so I'll, I'll reach out to you. Well, Kevin, a pleasure to uh, speak with you and uh, congratulations on the launch of the Open Legal Blog Archive. And uh, we will closely follow its progression as you build this out. Thank you. That's it for uh, episode 51 of This Week in Legal Blogging. Uh, you can check out all of our past episodes right on LexBlog at lexblog.com slash twill. That's T-W-I-L-B for This Week in Legal Blogging. Go there and find all our past episodes. And uh, you can hear us on any of the uh, podcasting platforms you use. And if you do that, please uh, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. On behalf of myself and on behalf of all the folks at LexBlog, thanks for listening.